Hi, you're listening to the City Stories podcast from the City Church. Uh, this is our introductory episode. Uh, my name is Luke Byford. I'm the deacon for storytelling at the City. And I'm Ben Fort, and I'm just a partner at City Church. <laughs> so Ben and I host uh, uh, some of the episodes. Um, this, this first one is an interview of Ben Conley. Uh, who is one of the elders at uh, the city, uh, one of our main teaching, uh, preaching elders. Uh, but that's, uh, that's not going to be the only uh, type of podcast you're going to hear uh, if you subscribe to this feed. Yeah, we'd like to do some NPR-ish stories um, that are more you know, set up like This American Life. And, but some of them will be conversations. Uh, Never know. We might have a serial-esque mystery on our hands. <laughs> yeah, mostly, uh, mostly though, we want to make sure that uh, what's what's going on in people's lives uh, throughout the city church uh, and in the in our different city groups are uh, getting out there, and uh, and people are, are known uh, throughout the church, um, so that uh, the way the gospel works itself out through people's lives is uh, is is told in story form. Uh, so, uh, subscribe, uh, listen to more of these. Uh, like I said, this first one is an interview of Ben Conley, and uh, it was our first one. So, please be gracious. talk for a minute so people understand who you are yes this is my talking voice yes and then there's ben fort hello i am not ben Connolly. <laughs> so this might get a little confusing um i've never had to use uh you guys last names around you before but we might have to get into that today otherwise we can just do like ben one and ben two or of course mm. nobody understands who that is either we have to arm wrestle for that then <laughs> there you go <laughs> that was Connolly. yeah <laughs> all right so mr ben Connolly. um you know, really all we want to do today is just kind of talk through your story, hear about where you came from, what uh, kind of brought you into uh, being a pastor, planting a church, uh, kind of what that looked like for you over all these years, and, you know, we'll see uh, see how things go. Where did you get your start? Where are you from originally? Yeah, so I was born uh, in Fort Worth. Um, my family was living in Graham, and the day that I was born, my dad actually got a job as a physical therapist in Weatherford. And so um, all of my memories growing up are from about half an hour outside of Fort Worth. Fort Worth was the, the big city that we used to come into when we wanted to see a movie in high school that was not one of the four playing at the uh, theater on the square at Weatherford. Um, not quite a dollar theater, but but in today's in today's expectations, that's about what we had. So of those four, which one, how many new releases? Yeah, that's, uh, I don't remember, but um, maybe one. Oh, okay. Yeah. Gotcha. Um, yeah, so grew up in, in kind of small town um, Texas. I was uh, baptized Catholic as a baby and, and raised in a, in a pretty uh, religious household. Um, Although come to find out, and this is not atypical for uh, Christians in the South or religious folks in the South, um, come to find out my parents weren't believers until I was in middle school. Um, and so I learned a lot about the Bible and about church and about um, traditions and practices and that kind of stuff uh, without ever really knowing Jesus and the Lord behind all of those scriptures and traditions and practices. Um, so religious upbringing, um, 
not a Christian upbringing um, as, as I would think about it today. Um, and yet at the same time, somehow um, I've asked my parents about salvation and things like this when I was uh, early elementary school. And so when I was about seven or eight, um, they led me to say a prayer um, about accepting Jesus into my heart. And so my big, you know, rock bottom conversion experience was as like a second grader in Superman skivvies um, <laughs> when I may or may not have, have quote, gotten saved. Um, so fast forward on that, on that theme. Mm. Um, well, now I, I kind of want to, let's go back to that for just yeah. a second. So you as a dad now, knowing what your experience was like, what, what are you, what are you looking for in your kids? Yeah. Um, I'll, I'll mention a little more of my history with mm. that because I think it informs what I look sure. for in my kids. So looking back on it, I, I mean, I remember that saying a prayer, being told that, that I was inviting Jesus into my heart kind of thing, but then there wasn't really, it didn't really matter. Like, and, and granted, like there wasn't a lot of, you know, sex, drugs, rock and roll in my life because mm-hmm. I was in second grade. And so there wasn't <laughs> like any mass, mass conversion <laughs> things that I had to, to, to completely turn away from. But, but from that time and, and growing up through high school, like just kind of a standard, you know, good kid, took a lot of leadership positions, took interest in a lot of different things, tried to live a good moral life, um, got to college. And uh, we'll come back to this, I'm sure. By the time I was in college, I was, I was already working in a church as a youth pastor, um, but in some ways also living a fairly traditional, you know, freshman in college of uh, freshman and sophomore year of college kind of lifestyle that, that one might expect of, of many 18 and 19 year olds. And so something clicked with me when I was, when I was 21, um, looking back over all those years and really realizing that I had sought all those leadership positions and been involved in so much and that kind of stuff and even used girls, women, um, to an extent to really seek satisfaction and, and try to, um, try to pursue, try to pursue something that was, you know, obviously at the end unsatisfying. Um, and, and all of this led to one day just realizing it hit me like a ton of bricks, like this Jesus thing should actually matter to all of my life. Um, and again, you'd think that after being a youth pastor for a couple of years, that should have already been in there, but you know, maybe shamefully it wasn't. And so the, the idea of the gospel mattering, um, and the death and resurrection of Jesus actually applying to my quest for satisfaction and how I treated, you know, by that point women, um, how I pursued happiness and, and the things that I thought of myself, the things that I thought of others like that, that was just a completely foreign concept to me. To the point where I question, was I actually saved at age eight, or did Jesus redeem me at age 21? And, and I frankly don't know the answer to that. Um, and sometimes I wrestle with that. Um, I think I come to grips of, of the, the reality of the, the all of life change happening at 21. Um, and so that, that does get back to, sorry, that was a really, really no, long no, road. Back to your question. <laughs> um, but, but it's changed my view on, on what I, what I look at as far as someone being redeemed or saved or baptized or that kind of stuff. Um, so I think of my kids who are at the time we're doing this recording, at least fairly young, um, you know, one of them seems to have at least one of them in in their own ways. A couple of them seem to have their, a, a comprehension of Jesus and salvation. And they both ask spiritual questions and think on spiritual things. And, um, you know, they'll both even, uh, you know, volunteer to pray or, um, reference, reference the little bit that they know about the Bible and that kind of stuff. But what I see in them is, is a lot of, a lot of what I saw in myself, a lot of head knowledge and being able to say things that they've learned 
you know, as, as a pastor, I see my kids even imitate me on a Sunday when they'll get up and want to preach and that kind of stuff. And, um, sometimes it's, you know, pretty right on actually. Um, but, but there's a verse in the gospel of Luke, um, where John the Baptist is talking about the fruit that bears with repentance or fruit that keeps with repentance. Um, and I think that, that it takes a lot longer to really see, especially in, in kids, um, is someone actually been redeemed by Jesus? Is their fruit consistently over time, um, especially at a time where like they're not just parroting what moms and dads tell them or what they know at home? Like at those times, whether it's at school or amongst your group of friends, where they have to make their own choice, you know, are, are those the moments when no one's looking over their shoulder that that they're making making choices that would display redemption? And so, fruit is the, the one word answer, um, after this thousand word answer, but gotcha. the one word answer is not, not being able to regurg- regurgitate back. Here's a set of beliefs that as a six year old, eight year old, you may or may not actually hold to, but mm-hmm. you've heard. Um, and, and is there proof in your life that Jesus has actually changed you? You know, y- you obviously had a desire to be in ministry even before you would consider yourself, uh, redeemed. Uh, so, moving forward like is that what 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 drives that desire to be in ministry to do ministry is it uh obviously now it's something that's very spiritual but mm-hmm. you know how obviously it started out of somewhere else yeah yeah so i mean in, in full honesty and this is probably you know i don't know who all's going to hear this so someone might be offended by this i took my first job in ministry for the money um which is not something i would ever recommend anyone to do um <laughs> So I was 18 years old, and I had been out of high school for two weeks, and uh, I had to pay for, for a significant amount of college and living expenses and that kind of stuff. And um, so I'd worked through high school. Um, I was working at American Eagle Outfitters, very, very trendy in the late 90s, mm. um, and was just going to transfer to the store in Waco where I was going to mm. go to college. Um, but I, was, I ended up leading, helping lead a retreat um, uh, in, in Waco a couple year, a couple weeks after I graduated high school. And at the end of the retreat, I got a call from a, a pastor of a, a small church in the suburbs of Waco and said, hey, I was at the retreat. Um, there are some things that, that you did that um, happened to resonate with me, and we're looking for a youth pastor. Um, are you interested? And I laughed at him over the phone. Um, again, not something I would recommend other people do when they're getting the, the potential job offer. But uh, laughed at him, told him I graduated from high school two weeks earlier, and he was looking at the wrong guy. Um, and he said he was okay with that if I was. Um, and so that sobered me a little bit. I went out and bought uh, bought my first suit, went down and, and interviewed with him, and, and got the job. Um, and, and, and I remember thinking something along the lines of, I think I know the Bible bad, better than an average middle schooler, maybe maybe average high schooler, and it, it pays more than American Eagle was going to pay me, um, and it'll help pay for college. That's how I got into ministry, and it's kind of embarrassing, but now it's on the record. So, <laughs> um, and, 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 and so you yeah. say you were raised Catholic. Um, did you continue going to uh, Catholic churches all the way through, or were you at a... Yeah, so I was baptized Catholic, and then growing up was a mix of, uh, as far as my memories go, I think there were a couple other things when I was younger, but a mix of uh, United Methodist and and Bible Church, kind of traditional Bible Church. Um, And so honestly, um, as far as the passion for even the kind of ministry we do now, I credit those two traditions and having kind of bounced back and forth and and wove, you know, kind of seeing those things interwoven. 
has given me the passion to, you know, pursue being the kind of church that we're trying to be. Because um, what I saw uh, on the positive side in the, in the United Methodist tradition was a lot of justice and caring for others and, mm-hmm. and outward facing and outward focus. Uh, and what I saw valued very highly in the Bible church tradition was right doctrine and theology and, and knowing the gospel and knowing the scriptures and that kind of stuff. Um, and, and I don't think it was until we were a couple years into the city church's existence that I realized how much the, the positives of both of those traditions had informed what we're trying to do. Because hmm. um, in, some, in some ways, it felt like those two things opposed each other. Um, and, and again, not, this isn't a blanket statement about every church in either of those traditions, but in some ways it felt like by prioritizing one side of that um, equation, the other side might have gotten lost some. Um, and, and so really, I think what we're trying to do is, is find a balance of both of those things, pursuing mm-hmm. right doctrine, living as we're called to in the scriptures, knowing that we can only do so empowered by the spirit and, and because of the blood of Jesus. And then as an overflow of that, pursuing mission and pursuing outreach and justice and the things that we're called to. And so I don't remember my Catholic days, but, uh, the Methodist and Bible church worlds uh, had been really, really helpful. Um, even even more than I than I kind of knew overtly. You 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 come out of uh, doing youth ministry, you know, widely for the money. Obviously, there's a turning point. Um, so instead of what makes you say or think, maybe this is something I should do the right way. Yeah. Versus, hey, I'm gonna you know I was doing this for the wrong reasons. Now I'm gonna go do what be a banker or graphic designer or whatever you were planning on on doing yeah so so i am glad we're coming back to this because i do feel like there has been some some redemption in that in that poor view of getting into ministry Mm -hmm. and i do want to say like doing it for the money it was a very part-time job for an 18 year old in a suburb of waco right yeah for the money yeah in in the grand scheme (laughs) of today's terms i don't think anybody believes this term (laughs) Um, there's much money in in, it's in the the four-digit salary range not the (laughs) five-digit salary range um but but no i during that time, and, and um, I already referenced kind of the pursuit of a lot of other things and satisfaction in a lot of other things. So I changed my major, you know, six or eight times within the first couple of years of college. Um, again, was, was, was becoming involved with and taking leadership positions with and trying to be, be known in, in a lot of different activities and that kind of stuff. Um, all while again, kind of developing not, not the not the rosiest of reputations because of how I was how I was also pursuing other forms of satisfaction those first couple of years of college, um, and and finally um, after after a, a student government election um, in in which my my pastor my boss at the time had seen seen me going so many different directions he kind of sat down with me and and people might be offended by his words I'm just quoting here kind of sit down and go, Ben, you, you got to figure out what, what, what direction you're going. You got to figure out what the hell you're doing with your life kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it really struck me, um, how right he was. And that was about the same time, um, uh, within, within a, a few weeks, maybe a few months of really that, that other revelation of the gospel should actually matter to all of life. Um, and, and at that time through that wrestle, through those kind of dual revelations, got to figure out what you're doing with your life. The gospel should matter to all of life. I realized as much as I enjoyed some of these other things, as much as they brought, you know, some level of, of temporary satisfaction, um, only Jesus would truly satisfy. And as far as the, what are you doing with your life part? Nothing brought me 
joy. No, none of those pursuits, at least, none of those majors, none of those other activities brought me joy or did I find myself thinking of as much as I did, like going to, to sit in high school with kids or, or teach about the scriptures and, and point people toward Jesus or that kind of stuff. And then especially after I realized the gospel should actually apply to all of life, um, it was just kind of a no-brainer um, as far as this is, this is already a direction and a path that God had already had me on, and I was just kind of waking up to that. Um, and so you use the term redemption, like there was some redeemed view. Like I felt like I stepped into it f- with a poor motive, um, but God still used that poor motive to get me on the path that I probably wouldn't have otherwise been on without, without him having to break me down in, in some other ways. Uh, was it after this when you realized that, you know, gospel really should be a part of, of our entire lives? It should affect everything that we do. Is that... I don't know if it was the word being used back then, but is that where the whole missional idea really started to to kind of take formation in you, or or did it come later? Yeah, and, and yeah, I think you're right. the The word wasn't wasn't super popular back then um, in the early 2000s. Um, it is it has obviously grown in popularity. I think again, part of it, it was deeply rooted in in the you know the justice oriented half of my kind of religious upbringing, mm-hmm. um, and. and and again, justice in and of itself, just making things prettier or helping those who can't help themselves is not the gospel, but it is certainly a, an outflow of the mm-hmm. gospel. A third revelation that hit about the same time that the gospel uh, applies to all of life and that I need to figure out what I'm doing with my life is that that's about the same time that I, uh, I met my wife. And so um, I actually hired Jess. That's how we met. I needed a summer intern to deal with all the issues, and they are many. Um, that come up with girls when you take them on uh, summer trips as a youth ministry. And so I uh, hired a few, sorry, I interviewed a few um, qualified candidates for a summer intern, and she was by far the best. And it was not love at first sight. Um, She went home and told her roommates that the guy who interviewed her was actually younger than she thought, and they asked if he was cute. And uh, my recollection is that she said no. Her recollection (laughs) is that she said, well, he's too short, (laughs) Mm. which on one Mm. level, you know, you can mess with cuteness, shortness. Yeah. (laughs) Kind of stuck there. There aren't dude platform shoes. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. I mean, there are. Are there? In disco days. That's that's good to know. Uh, Shin implants. Um, Trust me. I married a woman who was taller than I was and she can't wear heels anymore because she'll tower over me. So I I feel your pain. (laughs) She could. Is that a, is that an insecurity that you have that you won't let her? No. Should, can we no. go there? Let's oh, sure. Yeah, you, let's let's draw that one. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's a great place to go. <laughs> so, since then, we have uh, we have indeed fallen in love, and we've married for uh, over ten years now. We have three fantastic kiddos, Charlotte and Maggie, and then our son Travis is our youngest. So, I had those revelations. This is the direction my life is going to continue down because I was already on that path as far as uh, you know vocation. Um, and so in my mind, in, in either of those traditions, the next step is to, to go to seminary. And so I moved back to, to Fort Worth, um, started attending grad school in Dallas, um, and was hired at this thing called a church plant, which I'd never heard of before. Um, and uh, it, was, it was through some of that and getting to see something new start in a new part of town, um, seeing, seeing a... Um, seeing a, a church really embody and believe in God's heart for sending by sending out, you know, some of its own people to a new part of town just was kind of contrary to what I had 
come to, to, to know mm. um, in the church world. And so getting to see that take shape um, was certainly a, a realization of God's people doing mission together. Um, so making disciples, sharing the gospel, that had, that had become part of my role as a youth minister, and by God's grace got to see some of our students be saved, and it's, it's still really sweet to look back on that. Um, and, and even had encouraged individuals to go back out into their high schools or mission fields or college ministry over time or adult ministry over time toward jobs or that sort of thing. But as far as the church pursuing that as, as a more corporate entity, um, which is kind of what I see as being inherently tied to missional now, mm-hmm. um, some of those seeds were certainly laid um, through, through both seeing the gospel as it applies to all of life and then through hearing of this thing called a church plant. That, that now I'm fully <laughs> immersed in on a lot of levels. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to switch gears here just a little okay. bit. So we're talking about church plants. At what point do you stop calling it a plant? <laughs> yeah, that's a good question. <laughs> um, I don't know. Um, and on some level, you know, in, in our church every September is, we kind of define it as core team month. And so if, if we were to plant the city church this September in any given year, rather than September 2009, and this was our core team, you know, however many people are, are, are with us at the time rather than the 20 people that were initially with us in, in September 2009. Um, we have that conversation of how would we plant, how would we do things, what, what things would we need to be reminded of, what things in reality, because we do have a history, have we not focused on as much that if we were planting today, we would bring back into focus. Um, and so there's a sense to which I hope we never uh, kind of lose the, the DNA of being consistently planted, uh, being consistently replanted. Um, and as I say, that, that sounds tiring to an extent. Mm-hmm. And so what we're not going to do is blow up and change directions every year, um, uh, God willing, at least. Um, <laughs> but, 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 but revisiting that question and constantly keeping it on our mind, I think, I think helps us keep reliance on Jesus fresh and keep the reason we do things fresh and even keep uh, the doing of some of the things that we do fresh on people's minds. Mm. Um, I think it also helps with then sending out other plants that uh, by, by talking about us being a core team every year, you know, we can tweak things and change things, but it also keeps church planting fresh on our minds. Um, so we can never, you know, become comfortable and sit back on our or laurels or whatever people sit back on um, and forget that ours is ascending God and our, our charge is to send as well. Yeah. I appreciate the annual rhythm as a city church partner. Mm-hmm. Like by setting it up annually, uh, you don't wait for something to become like this crazy problem. Um, <laughs> like our last three churches have been uh, four to six-year-old church plants, which is a really fun time to join a church because it's like kind of established but like hasn't like people haven't gotten that uh sense of like well this is how we've always done things but like that happens over time Maybe. it's amazing so, how quickly people the, how quickly i have the turn myself get that yeah yeah <laughs> well we, we've done this once before this is how it is yeah <laughs> <laughs> uh what kind of things it, as you look at it at city church now and we i mean obviously in this this time we didn't cover half of of what planting a church looks like and what merging two churches together looks like along the way and, and how that all affects everything. But, but looking back at seeing where city church has been and same thing with, we'll include, you know, we'll include the rooted with that since we're, we're all part of the same thing, uh, where the city church has been and where the rooted has been and where, 
we are now going as a city church? Like, what what excites you? What really, you know, what makes you want to keep doing this day yeah. in and day out through even through some hard times? Yeah. Um, Jesus and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. Very nice. Yeah. Next. <laughs> um, no, I mean, there, there, is, there is rarely a day uh, when I wake up and there isn't something new or fresh or exciting um, that God is doing in our church. And, and uh, I'm really, really grateful for the last several years, and I'm really expectant and hopeful um, that, that we're going to get to see a, a whole lot of really sweet things happen by God's grace in the coming years. I think that um, some of the things that currently excite me, I think, as we have conversations about, uh, so we're in, you know, we're recording this in September, so we are in, in the throes of kind of core team month this year. Um, just kind of the, the re-upping a commitment and re-upping and doubling down. I'm going to go ahead and, and throw those both in there together uh, as far as what it truly means to live as family. And uh, I think one of the things that over time, to your point a few minutes ago, other Ben, um, <laughs> happens is like one of the things that can so easily become um, settled is the level to which we're willing to, to go enter into each other's pain and joy, the level which we're, we're willing to let other people into our own and even express needs and some of that kind of stuff. And so like a doubling down on what does it really mean that, that Paul calls us, calls the church, the household of God, that we are members of one another, um, that we desperately need each other. Um, I, th- I think that, that the image of community um, which is common, common talk in, in um, evangelical world, doesn't capture who we're called to be and who are who are really called to be as a family, um, and so that has a whole lot of uh, a whole lot of nuances, a whole lot of layers to it. Um, e- even for folks who have you know less than healthy families, and I don't know how to define a healthy family, but but for many who who have wounds from their own family, it's 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 a lot of layers to consider ourselves as a family. But to ask the question, what does a healthy family, a healthy spiritual family, do? How do we live? What are the things that we pursue? How do we get to each other's hearts? How do we, as a healthy family, even multiply um, and, and, and grow? Um, um, I think these are, these are some of the things that as I see uh, folks who had become settled or busy or tired or weary, as I start to see seeds of that excitement um, stemming back in um, and primarily seeing that the, the, the only thing that makes us family is God the Father through the blood of Jesus and giving us one spirit. As we become more reliant on God, and then as we start to see more joyful overflow of that into each other's lives and into our mission fields, that's, that's one of the things that's exciting me most right now. Pressing back into the family mindset. Do you still teach at TCU? I don't. Um, I, I, I love, I actually thought about this more this week than I have in a while. I've, I've loved teaching at TCU. I got to teach there for six years um, while we planted our church, and it was a huge blessing on a ton of levels so that we can get into some other day. Um, personally, for the church even, um, for, for my family, for, uh, for some students at TCU as well, I hope. Um, but I got to teach there for six years, taught public speaking, and when I got asked by SOMA, one of the church families networks that we're a part of, to come and oversee church planning for uh, North America, um, which sounds like a bigger job than it is um, on some levels, uh, I, I realized I probably couldn't um, have that family that I just described and also teach at TCU and oversee church planting and pastor a church and not die. So I, I 
regret and, and miss on some levels not teaching at TCU right now, but I love not dying, not dying. I do. I do love not dying. And I really, really love what I get to do with Soma. And you've written their book and you've written the field guide to everyday mission. I don't know if you've like have some mystery novel or something, but do you have any like <laughs> books in the queue? Like, do you have like ideas for books? Um, I mean, every day I have ideas <laughs> for all sorts of things. Most of which should never see the light of day, um, or especially come out on a recorded podcast <laughs> type thing. Um, we should make yeah. a Shark Tank podcast. Yeah, seriously, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There, there's often too many ideas. Um, nothing, nothing specifically right now. Um, mm. I'm getting to help a friend write a uh, companion for a book that he wrote. And, and that's a fun, fun project um, on a lot of levels. I'm, I'm glad to get to do it. But um, part of where we're, where we're at in the season of, of life and ministry and that kind of stuff has, has put any, any thought of, of tackling a huge writing project again so far from my mind. So till another day. Uh, ben, thanks for coming by to do this. And uh, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll see how it sounds when we put it all together. Uh, I can't promise which edits we'll use and which ones we'll keep, <laughs> but uh, we'll, uh, you know, you know, once it's out on iTunes, you can download it and, and see, uh, see how it came out. So. That sounds fantastic. <laughs> no, thank you guys. I appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. All right. All right. Thanks. Bye.